stay tuned to today's program because it's going to be a really great exploration with a good friend of mine, Noah, where we just talk about he's been together 27 years with his partner and the inevitable challenges that he went through and many couples go through. We talk about how personal growth is really an essential component in relationship growth. And it's just a very thoughtful conversation on how to become your best self and how to have the relationship you deserve. So stay tuned, listen in. Hello, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. Uh, My name is EJ Kerwin, and Tara Kerwin is not here today. This is the first time I've ever uh, done the podcast solo, so it's... uh, much like the rest of my week where Tara has been out of town with our with our youngest kids and it's been lonely around the house because the only ones remaining are two teenagers who don't really like to talk all that much. This is a little lonely, so I decided to bring in actually a friend today. And it's a series that Tara and I have talked about doing for a while, which is bringing in one side of a relationship and bringing uh, somebody in and just talking to them about what they've learned, you know, what the things are that they struggle with in their relationship, how their relationship has been a vehicle of growth for them, because that's sort of what we talk about here a lot is that with the proper mindset, our relationship becomes an opportunity for growth and that which might we might find disruptive or agitating with the proper mindset can be refocused into, hey, what can I learn from this? How can I react in a more supportive, loving manner? How can I recognize my own role in in certain negative patterns in in our relationship? So today I actually brought in a a very good friend of mine. His name is Noah Providence, and he uh, lives here in Tucson as well. He's a local business owner. And welcome, welcome Noah to Relationship Renovation. Thanks for asking me to sit with you and have a conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, since I called you, I've been like really looking forward to this because I know it's, you know, obviously we talk a lot, but talking here has a different sort of feel to it. So, I mean, it's, it's always nice for our audience just to get an idea of who somebody is. So can you give, you know, off the top of your head, hey, this is, this is Noah, this is, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is where I came from? Yeah, my name is Noah Providence. I'm 56. I grew up here in Tucson. I am an only child. I'm married to Jennifer. We've been married for 27 years. Wow, 27. So you were how old when you got married? I was 29, and she was 25, yeah. Okay. And we have five children, two girls and three boys. The youngest is 11 and the oldest is 24. Four of the five still live at home with us. All right. Yeah. And um, I'm a businessman, been in the fitness and personal development world for 35 years, I would say. I own a gym here in town, Wildcat CrossFit. And uh, in addition to fitness training, I do nutritional counseling, hypnotherapy, and a few forms of body work. And my wife has a acupuncture clinic called Flow, where she provides services in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, as well as different forms of body work. And we have a fairly interesting living situation as far as our property and who lives with us. It's fairly unique. Tell us a little bit about that. So about, I guess it's coming up on seven, eight years now, um, we had outgrown our house in uh, Midtown. And my mom and my wife's mom, they were in their late 60s, now in their 
late 70s, we decided that we wanted to find a property for all of us to live on. And we, we looked for quite a while and came across what used to be the Tucson Waldorf School. So we purchased it. It's about an acre right here in town, not far yeah. from the studio. Right in the middle of the city. Yeah. Very unusual find. Multiple structures on the property. So my wife and I and our children live in one. My mother-in-law and mom share a space where they have their own space and then a common area in another structure. And my brother and sister-in-law also live on the property yeah. with our 17 chickens and eight dogs. <laughs> and uh, Your cold plunge tank and your sauna. and All that, yeah. Basketball court and trampoline. And yeah. Yeah, it's quite, quite the thing. It is. It's interesting because um, I think, I don't know if you said the word non-traditional, you know, the, or just unusual or something, but that's unusual now as far as like an entire family, like living together and aging together, but it's probably not that unusual if you like look historically like that, you know, the elder people moved in, you know, and, or, or you always lived with your family, you know, at one point in history. Yeah. Well, there's certainly utility to it, and I, I'm not sure historically when the whole structure diverged from that. I think it might have been post-World War II, maybe, yeah. when the whole move to the suburbs and the separate living, um, where there weren't two generations or three generations living together. Yeah. yeah, it's been great. It's not without its challenges, but in balance, it's been certainly very positive. Yeah. Well, let's like, so... Um... I know we're going to get Jenny in here. Is it okay with Jenny, Jennifer? Jenny, yeah, Jenny. sure. And uh, Tara's going to interview her, and we're going to kind of play these back to back. So it'll be interesting to see different perspectives. And so one thing that, that when we're working with couples that we love to ask them is like, tell us about sort of your coming together. Like, how did you guys meet? What was it that drew you to Jenny? Yeah, well, we, we actually met in massage school. We were studying um, something called shiatsu in a program here at a school called the Desert Institute of Healing Arts. And we went through a year of training together and became friends, good friends, uh, but then kind of went our separate ways after graduation. And then uh, stayed in contact, just she was doing her thing and I was doing mine. Uh, I was leaving a, a career in the medical field. I was a respiratory therapist, but I was kind of done with that. And that's why I had gone back to school to study shiatsu. So I was finishing that up and she was teaching and um, doing her own thing, but we stayed in contact. And then we, we ran into each other at a local bookstore. And honestly, it was, there was some magic that, yeah. that uh, in retrospect, I could see that there was a, such a pivotal moment. Um, something shifted like in the universe. I mean, hmm. it, it sounds hokey. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, mean, I understand that it does. And um, we began to spend more time together and uh, we fell in love. Yeah. And yeah. What shifted in the universe? Like what, what changed for you? I don't know. It's non-intellectual. It's, it's hard to put words on it. It was a feeling. It was like the feeling of love. And uh, uh, wow. I, I mean, the, world's, the word soulmates comes, comes yeah. up. But I mean, there was some recognition, some, some deep connection. It was energetic. Yeah, it's really hard to put into words. Yeah, yeah, I fell in love. Yeah, yeah. how do you how do you really describe the the process of falling yeah. in love? There's the circumstances around it. Yeah, we met at the bookstore, and yeah. all. but then yeah. there was a feeling that changed, and I wanted to spend more time with her. And we had similar paths. We were definitely very interested in personal development, self actualization. We were both in the healing field. At the time, we had similar interests in fitness and and, and we still do. And, and yeah. yoga was a big part of our world. 
Um, so there were common physical their interests in the world, yeah. but there was something much deeper than that happened. Well, it's interesting. You know, I know I know you guys. I know I know definitely I know you better than Jenny, but I know that you guys. Um, you know, I've, I've known you for twenty years, I think now, which is crazy. I met you when I went through my first midlife crisis. <laughs> I moved back <laughs> to Tucson. First Tucson. One. Yeah, I'm in the midst of my second one right now, and it's all midlife. That's impressive. Yeah, man. You know, <laughs> it feels like I'm about halfway through. <laughs> and you guys have a united vision. Like, there's things that you're you've always been building together. I've I've always seen that, but I've also always noticed that you guys are very different people. You guys have different rhythms and um, I assume different struggles, you know. Is that apparent to you? And if so, like when did that get pulled into focus for you a little bit of, of like, wow, we're like, you know, we may share some commonality, but we, we have some real differences as well. Um, well, I think in, in the excitement and the newness of a relationship, it's easy not to see those differences. And I would say that the differences, when they express themselves as, I mean, a lot of them are complementary, but the differences when they become kind of something to work on or, or challenges uh, express themselves at times of stress. So the first one being, if you want to dive into this, the yeah. children. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's often like, uh, I was talking to a couple last night about there's points of divergence in a relationship, that there's things, there's a homeostasis and then something large happens, mm -hmm. you know, a kid's born, a career change, a medical crisis. And in those moments, oftentimes it destabilizes things. And then couples go in different ways at that moment. So for you, you're saying like when your first child was born, like when was the first like significant stressor for you guys? So our first child was born, um, Hannah, a year and a half into our marriage. Oh, that's cool. And we had just as right when we were, when we got married, we had just launched a fairly large enterprise, a business that we were doing as partners, um, both managing, staffing, working at it. And um, th that continued this kind of partnership in the business through the uh, pregnancy. But then when our daughter was born, things shifted, of course, quite a bit. So we didn't have a lot of relationships and, and friendships with parents at the time because we weren't parents. So we didn't have a lot of stories or a lot of experience with what to expect. Yeah. We didn't really re research that, <laughs> what to expect when their first child is born. So yeah, that was one of these pivotal moments for us, for sure. Yeah. What became apparent in that moment? about the two of you and your rhythms and how you coped with maybe stress or how you coped with change? Well, I think one of the things that became most immediately apparent was the shift in physical intimacy yeah. and um, just physical contact and closeness. And so all of our kids were breastfed. So the commitment to that process from a mom is big, yeah. particularly breastfeeding on demand which essentially is how it played out. And so as young newlyweds, you know, we're together all the time, physical contact, hugging, closeness. There's a serious touch overwhelm for a lot of young mothers when they're yeah. breastfeeding. So that shifted a lot and that was a, that was a big deal. Yeah. The demands of the business continued. It was a growing business. And we have, while we had been doing it together, Jenny's focus naturally shifted to being a mom and, um, so I felt there was some divergence of life experiences at that point. She began to have experience much more of, while we were sharing all the same experiences every day prior to that, she began to have a different experience. Yeah. 
of primarily with the newborn and everything that means, and me in business feeling kind of like I was more by myself. So our day-to-day experiences shifted from being the same thing to being kind of parallel paths. We had a gentleman on our show, a guy we really respect, Dr. Stan Tacken. He co-wrote a book called Baby Bomb. And what he talked about is that like what, what happens oftentimes when a baby's born is we quickly divide and conquer. That mm. we like have very distinct responsibilities, especially in, in heterosexual, well, you know, whoever the primary caregiver, right? Is one person becomes primary caregiver, their entire identity is wrapped up in taking care of that child, literally 24-7, taking care of the household. And then the the one that's not the primary caregiver you know, provides, you know, goes out and, and works, can, in your case, continues building a business, which is a an unruly child, you know, like our family, and that that we kind of fracture in that moment. And then if we don't course correct, we can sort of drift farther and farther apart. I mean, did you notice that in your relationship? Did you notice that that you pulled apart or did you guys quickly course correct? Um. You know, we were at task, I think, a lot of the time. So um, I wouldn't say we did either of those. It, it was, we were so just completely in love with our newborn that yeah. that was a, a, a common point of focus. Sure. I think that I, I began to realize, actually it was in retrospect, I now realize how immature I still was at the time. I hadn't been challenged to, to, to look at my own immaturity. And, uh, you know, I think what it brought up for me or, or what it exposed for me, I would say, is some, I would say, dysfunctional family dynamics that I had experienced as a child and then was expressing as an adult. Those being the, the kind of the roles of the homemaker, the provider, the who was taking care of who and how. And, and um, I didn't realize how immature, immature I was yeah. and, until there was some pressure like that. And um, I think Jenny's natural tendency is just to do everything. Yeah. To do everything. And um, while that's possible, I think, for uh, maybe not, you know, for a certain amount of time, it can be exhausting and animosity can grow out of that. So I do think that I didn't carry my fair share of the home life. Yeah. And Jenny was still contributing to the degree she could with the business, which was considerably. Yeah. Um, but I was not contributing at home as much. And how did that affect you guys' connection? Well, we were tired all the time. It was just, yeah. That's so long ago, honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so so let's, because um, I know you have, a, you have a, there's a breadth of your relationship, 27 years, I think you said, right? Yeah, 27. I mean, one thing that we work a lot with couples is is that naturally, but also in relation to external stressors, is when, how we got programmed as kids, right? You know, like, and w- w- attachment styles, like how we saw, how we were loved, how we saw people cope in healthy and unhealthy ways with stress, how responsive people were to our needs as kids, that we have very separate experiences as children. We just sort of adapt as kids. Then we get into a relationship. Like you said, we just fall in love. We just we just meet the person that, that we, we decide like, wow, this is the person I wanna be. But then later on in, in moments like this, and then you, know, you had four more children after this, those attachment styles most of the time don't meet up perfectly, 
Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where we have to sort of adapt. And did you notice that? Because you also said like, you know, intimacy changed. We were crazy about each other. We had nothing but time to be with each other and to express our love to each other. And then that changed when when a kid comes along. Have you noticed in your relationship that like sort of programming as a child that each of you separately had and how they've worked well together and how they've they've you've struggled to maybe make them work well together? Yeah, they def- those patterns definitely emerged. And they, I mean, we're probably drawn to a partner that will repeat these patterns for us. We attract them into our lives. So in, in a way, they fit together, even if they're beautiful or even dysfunctional. So I think my experience as a youngster, I was an only child. I think my mom, she, she took care of the house. She took care of my dad a lot. And uh, my dad kind of didn't do that much for the home. He had a, a job and a career. Sure. But they didn't share much of the responsibilities at home. And I think she took on a lot. And um, I think that uh, I allowed that to happen yeah. in a relationship. And I think it's some, and, and Jenny, I think from her upbringing, saw this drive to do everything. And she did. She just took on a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, I just figured that out about three days ago. <laughs> and I'm hoping things will improve from it. No, it's been a process. Yeah. Um, how did that affect, and in, when I say intimacy, I don't, I don't necessarily just mean sex. I mean everything from gentle, kind words to appreciation to, to non-sexual touch. Like, how did that dynamic of her sort of taking on everything at home yeah. and you maybe focusing elsewhere, how did that affect you guys' intimate connection? It was on hold for a long time. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't my nature to look for it anywhere else or to try to fill that at home, but there was an emptiness there for sure. There was fulfillment professionally. It was very challenging. There was, of course, the beautiful baby. But um, yeah, that was just on hold, I would say. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and, you know, when, we had, when Hannah was born, we did feel an immediate connection and kinship with other parents around the world that I, I didn't anticipate that, like how, how much I would suddenly feel connected to a whole larger segment of the population. Well, you you formed like a, like a pretty amazing community of people that were going through similar things. Mm-hmm. One interesting thing, and I just know about you is you guys were like, you guys were role models to a lot of people, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt that or not, but I think people really looked up to you guys. They saw you guys having all these kids and having this business and being sort of like bright lights. I mean, both mm-hmm. you guys are bright lights. But when that happens, like people don't see the struggles that are happening underneath, you know? And it, like personally, I feel sometimes in those moments, like a little, it's like, it's a little bit lonely also like a little bit of like for me personally like also that like imposter syndrome like sort of sort of comes up yeah do you feel that yeah quite a bit um still (laughs) (laughs) you know i wasn't cognizant of the old role model position at all we were just so immersed in what we were doing it it was fulfilling the whole time you know it's been a beautiful marriage and it continues to be we were both committed to and have been from the start owning our own stuff taking responsibility for our role in any dysfunction that might be present. One thing that I would say that has been super important in this potential for divergence of experience and and how I've seen some relationships kind of um, go separate directions, if not in, in complete separations, but in interests and stuff like that, is when your partner, and inevitably they'll have 
new interests come up. Things will capture their imagination or their interest. Even if it's not something you're immediately interested in, get interested in it. Hmm. So like for instance, if your partner takes an interest in gardening, even if it's not something that initially interests you right away, get interested in it. <laughs> Inevitably, once you move into it a little bit, you'll get interested too. Like anything that you start to study in any kind of detail, interest will be cultivated. But I mean, I, I can't overemphasize that enough, honestly, because new interests and ideas will emerge and um, get interested in them and engage in them with, with your partner. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. Because that, that's something where it's easy, like you said, for couples to get divergent is mm -hmm. it's like, well, you just, you know, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, I like this, you like that, let's, we'll just kind of do our own things, we'll meet at the end of the day. Yeah. And I uh, I think that does, it pulls people apart. Because if you're interested in something new, you have passion for it, and why wouldn't you want to share right. that with your partner? Yeah. And even if it doesn't become a real point of passion for you, it'll, it'll be interesting enough and you'll understand it enough to have in-depth supportive conversations about it. Yeah. Okay, I want to cut to the meat a little bit about about, you know, our, our motto is our partner can be our greatest teacher. Can you be patient for the lessons, right? Hmm. And so when you look back at your relationship, what have been like your biggest areas of growth that served you as an individual, but also you found out like, wow, that's pretty darn important if this relationship is gonna work? Yeah, I, I would say pay attention if you perceive or see that your partner is overwhelmed or fatigued, either physically, emotionally, or mentally, if you have to ask, what can I do to help, which may be the right thing to do in certain moments, is inquire. But also, if they're overwhelmed and you have to ask, it means you haven't been paying attention enough to see what's overwhelming them. Yeah. So that's it, I would say, stay present and pay attention. Has that been a struggle at all for you to pay attention? I mean, episodically, when distractions yeah. and busyness of life. And yeah, it's been a practice. I don't know if it's been a struggle. You know, being aware of invisible work is a super important one. Yeah, help us understand that. Better. Invisible work? Yeah. I think historically it's been more applied to homemaking, invisible work, all the things that a homemaker does that while someone else might be out working a job and then comes home in the house, is maintained, there's food, the kids are clean yeah. and, and stuff. So I don't know that, so invisible work is this work that is critically important, yeah. but, but not necessarily, uh, there's not always a lot of credit given for that yeah. work. You're saying pay attention to all of the things that your partner does that maybe if you're not really looking, you might take it for granted. You might not express appreciation for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I think that there may have been more of an, an expression of a pattern from my childhood, then, so it might not be as big a deal for other people. But it was for me to really acknowledge the time it takes and the care it takes to do all those things well. And so these would be some of the points that like, if you have to ask, what can I do to help? You haven't been paying enough attention. Yeah. So if there's um, an observation of fatigue or strain, just jumping in and doing those things. How can you tell when you're not paying attention to those things? Like what are the things that you notice in Jenny when maybe she's feeling unsupported or unappreciated in those ways? Just the loss of shared experience. When things are at their best, anytime we have a few moments together, we're talking about what's inspiring us and bantering about it and uplifting each other and offering our own ideas and inspiration. 
And in times where there has been more fatigue or strain, those kind of conversations are few and far between. So one thing I've heard a lot over the years from couples is they say like, you know, we don't even know how to like have those conversations anymore. You know, like, like all we do is we, when we do spend some time communicating, it's just about literally checklist, you know, like, what did you do? What did you do? Or, or what needs to get done? Or, and they, they say they have a hard time having conversations that are, that are deeper, you know, like when we first get together, like I'm sure you and Jenny spend many nights like staying up late talking to one another, asking each other questions, like just that that like exciting curiosity we have at the beginning of a relationship. And it sounds like you're saying like when we're most connected is when we're continuing to have really like enriching, beautiful, connecting conversations. How do you cultivate that? Like how do you keep that going over 27 years? Um, well, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I don't know the formula to keep it going. I think that if you commit to staying interested in your own personal growth and your partner's personal growth, it leads to those deeper conversations beyond the laundry list of things that have to get done. And also consciously constructing your life so that you're not consumed with the list of things that have to get done building organized structures and not getting swept up into uh, meaningless tasks, prioritizing the things that are closer to your soul, closer to your passion, prioritizing those things. Yeah, I mean, I know that's, that's probably easier said than done, but it's, I think it's critical. Well, it sounds like in some, on some level, staying connected and what you're building together, what's important in your shared experience, you know, not just serving your own needs. Um, I, I love also just that whole idea that you said of, of just like committed to your own personal growth, but staying interlinked with your partner in that. I think like mindfulness, you know, I know you guys well enough to know that, that, that both of you, that's always been a practice. You've each had, you know, your own, I don't know if you guys have separate or very similar ways in which you've gone about that, but it's a heck of a lot easier to stay attuned to your partner and attuned to what's good for your relationship if you're actually paying attention and having some practice that that allows you to intentionally point your attention someplace. Yeah, it's been very important for us that we create time to have our own silence in our mind and um, for things to sort out and um, to connect with your own intuition and your own guidance. And if you, that has to be, you have to make time for some quiet, no matter how busy your life. So that those moments of, of solitude, introspection, definitely have led to greater connection for us. Uh, And I would say we're closer and more supportive of each other and more in tune with each other's experience now, 27 years in, than we ever have been. That's a pretty amazing thing to be able to say. Yeah, and looking forward to many, many more years ahead. I think that a word that gets a bad rap sometimes is discipline. But there's a discipline to the whole process, a commitment to some structure that creates a vessel for the relationship to exist in. And not waiting for motivation to do those things that create that structure. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me because I think a lot of times the motivation to get disciplined again and making your relationship a priority comes from when it totally breaks down. 
and I think this may be inevitable on some level, but times where your partner looks at you and is like, hey man, like you gotta get your shit together or you gotta yeah. like, you know, and it's really painful when that happens. And I, like I said, I think it's inevitable sometimes, but it's certainly better if you can begin to recognize when you're falling into patterns of, you know, for me, it's avoidance, you know, for mm. me, it's like going really like internal and and maybe not being as aware of what's going on for Tara, being responsive, like, as you were talking about being responsive, I was like, to her needs and the things that are overwhelming her, like, like sometimes I stop paying attention to that. And if I can catch myself before it gets to a point where it's a serious agitator for her and then become more disciplined in like paying attention, you know, like really like showing up in a empathetic, loving, caring way instead of like what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that we haven't uh, completely avoided those transformations precipitated by crisis. They certainly have, I've been called out on some, I would say, selfish, immature behavior that persisted over some time, which then led to a greater level of understanding. I mean, this may be inevitable, but I mean, I do think to get back to how this tangent started was the discipline is you can minimize those numbers of having to be the phoenix and emerge from the ashes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, or getting are. called out on immaturity or lack of awareness. Yeah. Which I can I can actually say that it's only been one way. I'm the one that's been called out on my immaturity. Yeah. Like, yeah. she's so amazing, EJ. Yeah, yeah. I just have to throw that in now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She owns her stuff immediately, you know, and 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 changes. I'm often need a little more of a poke. Yeah. But yeah, the the discipline honestly is something that's fairly new in my world. Believe it or not, at this you know more than a half century in, I was always motivated by motivation and inspiration. And it's kind of led to me digging a million wells and none of them deep enough to hit water, you know, the, sure. the imagery. So, and for whatever reason now, I'm really enjoying discipline. I mean, it's grown over the years, but now I'm really enjoying being disciplined. Yeah. And it brings me to the moment more somehow. Yeah. And uh, in the moment, I can pay attention yeah. and be present in the relationship. Yeah, what one thing that I think is super important, and a lot of people come to, whether it be couples counseling or even come to this podcast, because there has been a moment of crisis where their partner has called them out on, on something, and being able to not get caught up into your own righteous indignation and your own ego saying like, this is what the, I'm working so hard, or like, why don't they see? Mm -hmm. And be able to trust that even though, and maybe your partner does it in a really hearable way, and maybe they do it in a really disruptive way that maybe they could have done it more kind, but being able to be like, I trust that this person would, they wouldn't be saying this if this wasn't pretty, dang important for me to hear. Yeah. Yeah, and there is that trust. So um, that's established over time. But I do feel whenever something is brought up, it's not from a selfish point of on her part, it's to improve our relationship. So at this point, having had that history, I, I can easily take it in and become introspective and not project and like you said, say, well, I'm doing all I can. Yeah. Because I'm not. Yeah. Generally, I mean- Yeah, that hits me for sure. And yeah. trying to take 100% ownership for any discord that's going on, whatever the issue is, it's 100% on me. You know, wh whether an objective observer would arrive at that same assessment, it's functional for me to approach it that way. Yeah, it's the only power you have, right? That's the only power I have. 
So spreading responsibility or blame on a particular situation serves no purpose but to take 100% responsibility to make it right. And then inevitably, your partner does their role, their role shifts as well and whatever yeah. the dysfunctional dynamic may yeah. have been. And, and I think that goes like, I mean, I think you guys have a very strong connection and a strong love and maybe it hasn't gone as sideways as, as other relationships have. But I think even in the most like challenged relationships, if you can really just take personal ownership, if you can really just look like, what is my part in this disruption that we're going through right now? Mm. I think that that's like the only pathway to making it through it. You know, I think there is like a certain point where there you get back in sync and you try to create new systems and you get disciplined together and you, but if you don't make that U-turn and hold that mirror up to yourself, pretty dang quickly and then and then use that information to move forward. I think that's where relationships like where they don't fix, they don't get fixed, they don't get better mm -hmm. is when you try to deflect yeah. personal responsibility. Yeah, I know we're we're wrapping up soon now, but this really does kind of lead to a whole nother thing. And that is I think that unless people have done personal work and healed trauma from earlier in, in their life, the accumulated along the way, they'll eventually reach a psychological barrier of personal growth that's insurmountable yeah. unless you go back and gather that up. And that, that barrier may be reached within a relationship. And so that's why it's imperative to heal whatever may be fractured yeah. from childhood or, young, or wherever it may have happened yeah. because that full force of your psyche will at some point be called on to move forward, to get over that next hurdle, that largest hurdle to really have the relationship flower and become all that it can be, you have to move forward as a whole person. Yeah. And sometimes I think that uh, people see the relationship as the, and, and it can be the vehicle for that kind of healing. It can certainly point you in the direction for things that need to heal, but some of that work needs to be done on your own and then brought to the relationship. Well, thank you, Noah. This has been, you know, we've, <laughs> we've certainly talked a ton over the years, but this has been a fun, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a different feel when you sit down here and have this talk and I've enjoyed it tremendously. Thanks, so have I. Yeah, absolutely. You want to just, I mean, quickly just like give us a little breakdown of, you know, you're obviously a really wise person with a lot of insight and you're in the helping field. So is Jenny. I mean, just give us a little breakdown of if someone wants to connect with you guys, um, they want to hear more about what you're doing, you know, how, how would they connect with you? Yeah. So my wife's business is Integrative Health and uh, it's called livelifeintheflow.org is the website. The, the business is Flow and the website is livelifeintheflow.org. Lots of great services there for living the best life you can. Um, my business, aside from what I do there, is in the fitness world. I have a gym called Wildcat CrossFit. Many people for CrossFit, it's a particular training methodology, and it's wildcatcrossfit.com. And um, great training community and a friendly environment. So, great. yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I'm uh, glad to have you here. Glad to have you as a friend. Likewise. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, you know, we uh, we appreciate you being out there. We always appreciate if you give us any feedback, you know, go ahead and uh, email us info at relationship renovation with any topics you'd like us to take on or any things that you're struggling with that we can integrate into a future podcast. 
You know, we still have our uh, relationship renovation at home program that there's a link in the show notes too. And uh, I, I know it's a great way. We've got some great feedback uh, from couples recently who've been going through. It's a self-paced program. There's videos, there's at-home lessons you download and, and can do. And, you know, check that program out. It's definitely a way to do a lot of what Noah and I were talking today, which is grow individually, grow as a couple, you know, grow in service of having an amazing supportive relationship. Thank you guys all for listening. And I, I don't have terror to say it, so I'll say it myself. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the same. Me and you have all the fame we need. Indeed, you and me are we.